If you have your Bibles, I invite, uh, invite you to open up to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm excited because this is, this is a classic, as Kyle likes to call him, coffee mug verse, all right, that we will be looking at this morning. And it's fun to look at those and really break them down and see what they really mean as opposed to how we apply them or how they've been marketed to us. And so we're going to be looking, as I said, in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10 and reading through verse 13. And so if you have your Bibles, once again, I invite you to follow along. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatsoever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here it is, here it is, all right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yes, you too could be Tim Tebow playing in the NFL, all right? No, um, we, we have... But, Anyway, all right, but, but there was, there's this verse, okay, that yes, whatever you want to do, put your heart, put your mind, and you can do anything because God is in you. Yeah, that's not what it means, all right? I will never be in the NBA, all right, even though God is in me. Not going to happen, all right? I am a white man, and I cannot jump, and uh, I, don't, I really can't dribble much either, but I can shoot, and I'm really quick, but I won't. This verse is not talking about yeah, whatever you put your heart and your mind to, because God is in you, you will achieve it. And, and that's where it's on shirts, it's on mugs, it's on all that kind of stuff. But, but I want to look at what this does mean, what this is talking about, because I believe it's, it's integral, it's, it's, it's so important to our Christian lives. And obviously God thinks it's important, he recorded this for us, he wrote this down because he thinks there's something that you and I can learn from this. And so, looking back, Paul says, Paul says these words in verse 11 and verse 12. He goes, uh, I have learned. And then again in verse 12, and he says, I have learned the secret. And that is what we want to look at. What did he learn? Could we learn those same things also? And I believe we can. He learned what these meant. He learned how this applied. And we're going to look at that. And, and as, as we look back and, and we look at this, there, there's that part, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Most of us, as, as we would read that, we'd go, okay, well, you know, I think I'm really doing fine with the, the plenty and abundance. I, I do really well when I have that, all right? But, but maybe the time when I'm in need, when I'm hungry, when things aren't going the right way, that, that's what I need to, to focus on. Paul seemed to delineate that there was something in both of those that he had learned. And we'll, we'll break this down, but think about this just for me. When we look uh, at the plenty, we look at the abundance, that almost maybe is actually a harder thing to learn. We have in the Old Testament when, when the children of Israel were going to go into the promised land, what were the words of God that he spoke to them? He says, you're going to go into this land and you're going to get houses that you didn't build. You're going to get plant gardens that you did not plant. You're going to get possessions and things that you didn't purchase. And when you go there and you have this abundance, don't forget me. He realized that they were going to struggle more once they entered the promised land 
than when they were wandering around in the desert for 40 years, being attacked, being want, having things difficult. And so I think there might even be more for us to learn on that, because think about this. When we have plenty, when we have abundance, what things then begin to seep in? Pride. Look what I have done. Self-reliance. I don't need anyone else. We start looking at others differently. We start worrying about our things, if they're going to get broken or scratched. We start putting locks on things so they're not stolen. When we don't have much, make a lock. Why would I lock it? Someone wants something that's in there, let them take it. I got nothing, all right? We start to have fear of what people might do to our things, whether they, they scratch them or break them or take them. We fear the loss of them or the decline of their value. When we have nothing, we don't fear those things. We don't struggle with those issues. And it's interesting, the words of Christ, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Statistically, the poor give more percentage-wise than the rich. The poor give more percentage-wise than the rich. More blessed, more happy are those who give and receive. And for some reason, when we get more, we give less. So yes, we need to learn both sides of this. And so Paul, as I said, he learned this. And so I, I see the, the answers. We're going to take a journey actually through the book of Philippians here. And because if we back up to verse 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Well, what have we learned? What have we received? What have we heard? And, and I'm really excited because tonight, or this afternoon, uh, after our lunch, we're going to have an opportunity, a time of sharing. What have you learned? As we've looked back at this book of Philippians and we've had small groups, as we've gone for a year together, what have you learned? And I want you to start thinking about that now because we would love to hear that and be encouraged as God has been working in your lives. And, and I know of you. Uh, some of you in the stories that are happening, and I know God is, is faithful, so he has been, but that's thinking down. But what have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? And so what have we? And I want you to turn back to chapter 2, verse 4. And I see one of the first principles here that we need to learn, that Paul learned, one of the secrets to be able to, in all things. And here's what it says, chapter 2, verse 4, and it says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Let each of you not look only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And we see this as we move up even uh, just up the page there. Maybe it's back page, depending on the size of your, your Bible on the pages. But, but when Paul, he was talking about just earlier, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, but what does he say? He says, but to remain in the flesh, in verse 24 of chapter 1, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He started looking at the interests of others. And when we look at these things, how can we be content, whether we have much or whether we have little, the first thing that we need to do is we need to focus our interests on others and not ourselves. Because when we start focusing on interests, our interests in others, no matter how little we have, no matter how bad the situation we are in, I will promise you, you can always find someone that has less and is worse off. And, when, and you can begin to help and to minister to them. 
And on the flip side of that, no matter how much you have, when you start looking at the interests of others, you start looking at your things not as your things, but God, how, why did you give this to me so that now I can bless them in the situation? God, how do you want to use me? Because I'm no longer attached to my things. I'm no longer attached to my situation. I'm now looking at the interest of others. And the things around me are only a tool to help me to be able to do that better. And therefore, I can rejoice regardless of my situation. Paul teaches us more as we continue to look here in chapter 2, looking at verse 5 through 7. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. Taking the form of a servant. Paul, even as he begins this letter, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul understands this attitude that Christ had. He understands his position. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus As you read through all of his books and you look, the number of times he identifies himself as a servant of Christ. How does this help us to rejoice in all circumstances? How does this help us to look differently at things? Once we realize that we are a servant, the servant has no rights. They're entitled to nothing. We deserve nothing. And so no matter how things get, how bad once we start to grumble and complain, once we become discontent in our circumstances, is because we have some sense of entitlement. We believe that there is something that we deserve, that it's somehow that we've been wronged or somehow life should be better. And so we start to have a wrong perception. And as we, as we look through, once again, through the whole Testament, if that were the case, as you look through all the prophets, and the rejection they had, the difficulty they went through. And we see how God used them and knowing that God loved them. That should bring us encouragement. That should bring us joy. And so, once again, as a servant, we deserve nothing. We're entitled to nothing. We also, we own nothing. We get so connected to our things. We think our things are where our value comes from, our worth We think that we have some say in them. We don't. We don't. All things that we have come from God. They belong to God. They are owned by God. We are merely His servant. And so that then, when we have abundance, if we can keep that that same mindset that these are not things that I have accumulated based upon my intellectual proudness. These are not things because physically I have worked hard and I have obtained them. No. No, these are things that God allowed you. God gave you your mind. He gave you your eyes. He gave you your hands. He gave you your feet. He gave you your health. In fact, we see God actually holds you together. If God were to get distracted and stop thinking about us, we would cease to exist. It says in His Word. And so, when we look at this abundance, we go, God... I am your servant, and if you think about this in a very, very practical way, going back, think of a king, and a king in his, in his castle has many servants. 
and his servants, the king might go, here, I want you to hold on to these 50 pounds of gold. Does that servant go, wow, look what I did. I am now rich. No, he goes, wow, I got to take care of this because I don't know why the king gave it to me. But I want to make sure that it's here when he asks for it and that I am faithful when he tells me to spend it and I diligently use it in a way that he would be pleased. The attitude of a servant before Christ. Christ modeled this. Paul modeled this. The obedience, the understanding. Paul learned this. May we too hopefully learn to be a servant. We then see in the next thing, chapter 2, verse 14, Paul continues to teach and to instruct. Chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. And then he kind of ties that into, in in chapter 4, verse 4, he gives us almost, I will say, the opposite or the answer to that, where he goes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Do all things without grumbling. In fact, do all things with rejoicing. The secret he had learned that when he has nothing, when he has nothing, to not grumble. To not grumble. To not complain. Because grumbling and complaining is saying, God, you failed me. You let me down. You messed up. I am not happy with who you are. You are not all wise. You are not all knowing. You are not all powerful. You failed. Which when I say that, you're like, whoa. I don't want to be standing next to you when you say that. Lightning might come, all right? Because it's true. God did not. We see this in Job. Job began to even question, going, God, I don't get it. God, I don't get it. But at the same time, even though everything had been taken from him, his possessions, his health, his children. He still praised the name of the Lord because he understood even though I don't understand, even though he said, I want my day in court, God, you are wiser. You know more. Who am I to question you? But when we're grumbling, we are complaining. Paul, of course, As we look through his books, he goes, what? I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. I was rejected by my people. I was starved. I was stoned. And here's a man that we do not see any grumbling. He gave us the example. We learned, how did he do these things? Well, as we even look at these other things, he realized he was a servant. He was looking at the interests of others. And when our focus is on that, grumbling doesn't come out of our mouth. Because we're excited about the opportunity that we're in. And so this grumbling almost becomes a great litmus test for us of going, am I being inward focused or outward focused? Am I looking at Christ or am I looking at me? And so it's something that we can use in our own lives, like I said, as a litmus test. And rejoice in the Lord always. As we have stuff, as we get more stuff, once again, God, thank you that you have found me faithful. I don't know why may I continue to be faithful, I am rejoicing you even when things do not go well. Why? Because as I even look at your word again, because you have a perfect plan. As I look at the story of Joseph, and as he was sold as a slave, and then he was lied about in Potiphar's house, and then he was, he was put in prison, and then he was forgotten. And if that was me, God, I would probably would have gumbled and complained and plead my case and said, this is not fair, this is not right. 
I was, I was the honored son in my father's house. And life was good. And now I'm a nobody. But we have the advantage of looking at that story going, no, God meant that for good and God had a plan. You know what? Everything that God allows in your life, he means for good and he has a plan. And we can rejoice. We can rejoice in those things. Rejoice in the Lord always. We continue to see as we look at Paul what we've heard, what we've learned. Chapter 2, verse 16. It says that holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What Paul learned, and we see this in all of his books, we see this in his life. Yes, he held fast to the word of life. That was his mantra. That was his calling. That was his purpose. That was his direction. That was his goal. That was his motivation. That was his joy. The word of life, the gospel of Christ, who he was, who we are, what he did for us in reconciling us to the Father. That was what motivated him. That's what drove him. That's what inspired him. That is what he clung to in every moment of his life. And so we, then again, when we look at our things, when times are difficult, when we are hungry, when they're not going well, are we realizing what is temporal and what is eternal? What is important and what is not? And as we, as we look at these things, we have to start asking ourselves, what am I clinging to? Where is my hope? Where is my security? What is even my motivation? I love what, what Piper said. When, when your joy is not in this world, then nothing in this world can take your joy from you. And so, regardless if I have little or if I have much, that should not necessitate my mood, my attitude, my disposition. And if it does, we need to start evaluating who really or what really is our God. Because when our gods are threatened, we become discontent. When our gods are pleased, we become happy also. And so if our God is our belly, we're happy when we get food. If our God is money, we are happy when our bank account is large. And when it is small, we become worried and discontent. For God is is our own schedules. And we are pleased when we get our way. If it is our own schedule, we are frustrated when our spouses, when our children, when our job interferes with what we wish we could be doing. What are we holding fast to? What are we pursuing? What are we living for? May it be the word of Christ. May it be the gospel. May it be... Jesus. Paul had learned this, and therefore in these situations, regardless of what they were, he had learned how to be content in whatever situation he was in. We then see in chapter 4, verse 6, Paul continues to say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious, whether you have much or whether you have little, whether things look good or whether things look bad, whether you are starving or whether you are well fed, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul was a man of prayer. The number of times that in all the books that he talks about, again, now he's praying for those, and he, and he pleads for prayers. Prayer is a key. Prayer is a key to learn how to be content in whatever situation you are in. And Paul understood this, and hopefully we can learn from him, praying all the time. In Thessalonians, that's why he even says, pray without ceasing. Continually be in communion, talking with the Heavenly Father. Letting Him know what's on your mind. What's going on. I heard a, a man, and he, and he shared this. And it was, it was a neat little thing, and, and it's helped me. And, and it's the idea of, he said, before and after every single thing you do, take five seconds to talk to God about it. Well, I got five seconds in my day. Because a lot of times I get bogged down in this idea of going, you know what, I need to sit down and be in the prayer position, because we all know what that is, all right? But I, I need to do that for like 45 minutes to an hour so I can go, I prayed. And, and, I, and I call them a little bit a difference between their, their sprint prayers and their marathon prayers. And they're both good. And they're both necessary. And so... A lot of times, though, when I, when I think of, of praying, I, my mind goes to the marathon. I go, no, the sprinting's good also. To constantly, before every phone call, God, may my words be correct, or God, give me wisdom, or God, may you guide this, this conversation, or may this situation turn out the way that you want it to. Whatever it is, before I go home, I'm driving God. May I show my wife I love her. May I not provoke my children to anger. May I, I be pleasant knowing that 25 people are going to be there, and I'd rather not have them there tonight. I love my small group. I'm not talking about you. Okay, all right. But, all right. Um, but, to, but, but to start just thinking everything that I'm about to do, to start just, God, how do I want you involved? What do I need? Where are you? And then afterwards, with thanksgiving, God, thank you for that. Thank you that you were there. Thank you that I have no clue what any of that just meant, but you do, and you're going to work it for something. With thanksgiving. Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Paul had learned this. Paul says, what you have learned and heard and seen in me practice. He knew the secret. Next, bouncing to verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so once again, the secret then of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, to be able to be content in every situation is because I'm not thinking about, I'm thinking on these things. This is what I'm focused on. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm pursuing in these situations. And so once again, then my focus and my thought and my attention is not on me. It's about on God and what he is doing as 
I'm finding these things in every aspect of what is happening. And so Paul had learned this. Paul had learned these things and learned, learned actually is a combination of two things. Learned is knowledge plus experience. Learned is not just knowing something. And I'll I'll go back to, to Tim Tebow and the idea of, you know what, he could know every football player or every football play there is, but is that going to mean he's successful? Not necessarily. Because once you get out on the field and you start trying to execute those plays, things change. All right, whoa, it was so easy on the chalkboard and it made sense on paper. People are running now and it's swirling and, and how do I do this? But he learns. And if all we had was experience, once again, if all Tim Tebow did was just run around on the field all day and had no knowledge of any plays, which it looks like sometimes, but um, if that were the case, then he would learn nothing. And in our own life, this is going to take time. There is, there is a combination of knowledge that we need to pursue, knowing the, de- the, the full breadth of God's Word. Paul probably had memorized the entire Old Testament. And so as I've shared some of these stories with you about different the prophets and these different people of God, he knew them. That was knowledge he had that he was then able to apply to the experiences that he was going through, which allowed him to come to the conclusions that he did. And you know what? This takes work. This takes work. And work, a lot of times, unfortunately, gets a bad name, and it's connected with a word called legalism. And that is not always the case. I'm going to give you a different definition of work. Applied effort in pursuing what we love. Applied effort in pursuing what we love. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And here's what Tim Tebow knows. And here's what he said when he was at Florida State. I am going to work harder than any person on this team. And not because anyone was making him and not that he felt that he had to, but because he wanted to succeed. And he knew to succeed, it took work. It took discipline. It took perseverance. And one of the things that I love when Olympics comes around every year is I love to hear the stories about these athletes who says, man, one of the things that I, that I love to do when I got done, as soon as I got that medal, is I went to McDonald's. All right, I, wow, huh? and, and they go, why? Because what I did is I had no friends, I had no life, I had no fast food, I did none of those things. Why? Because I saw the prize. I saw this medal and I wanted to win it. And so I put all those things, everything that I said, that will be a hindrance. And there was no legalism, no one was making them. They go, that is so important to me, this means nothing, and I'm going to give it all up so that I can get that And Paul talks about that, that we do that to pursue the perishable crown, the thing that doesn't last. In fact, four years, they're doing it all over again to pick a new winner. And think about the things in our life that we're pursuing that are perishable. That they do not last. Put those behind and work towards knowing him, understanding him, following him, once again, not because you have to, 
because you want to. Paul had learned. Paul had learned. And hopefully we can follow him as he followed Christ, as he gave this example. And it's great because we don't know if Paul wrote the book of Hebrews or not, but he but he very well could have, because in Hebrews chapter 11, we see this list to call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. And these people are going, look what we were able to do. Not, not in a prideful way, but these people who, who pursued God, who followed God. Back to the Olympic idea. You know what? It, it was amazing. No one could break the four-minute mile. But once somebody did, it got shattered again and again and again. Because like, it can be done. And people started doing it. And so as we understand all these people in the Old Testament, we look at these things, how could someone endure? Wow, they did that? I can do that too. And that's why Paul's saying, learn from me as I have learned, as I follow Christ, follow me. Let me be an example or an encouragement to you in this. It can be done. And so we need to learn. And we need to work. Apply effort in pursuing what we love And all these things, as we look back, we know what we love by whether we're looking at others, whether we're a servant, whether we're grumbling or being thankful, whether we're clinging to the word of life or something else, whether we're turning to God for prayer with thanksgiving or we're turning to ourselves, and we just try to work harder without him instead of trying to work less and relying on him and what things that we're thinking about. In those times when we're driving or in the shower, by focusing on how I'm being slighted or what people should be doing, all the things that I think I want to acquire that will bring me happiness, or am I thinking on the things that God would have me? Let's pray.